Hey, Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. It's me, Pastor Dustin, and I'm here with Pastor Richard Evans, who hey. I have given the new nickname Revens. Uh, if you just think about the word Reverend plus Evans, his last name, you can combine it to say Revens. And also, uh, fun fact about nicknames, two things about nicknames real fast. Uh, first, you can't come up with your own nickname. And then two, you can't like your nickname, which is what makes it a nickname. And I don't think that Revens actually likes the nickname Revens, but that's also sort of what's making the nickname stick. Well, and the other thing is, if I say that I like it, I'll have to have a new one. So that's also I'll true. just stick with whatever <laughs> I get called. So I'm, I'm just glad to be here. Yeah. All right. So it's uh, Pastor DJ, you know, yeah. and uh, Revens here. Revens. Yeah. yeah, so hey guys, we're so excited you're joining us. Uh, this is actually happening live, uh, which is pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, we have had a really busy week at our church uh, as far as staff people and what's going on in their lives. True and story. you may notice uh, between Pastor Richard and I that there are not one, not two, but three roses. So uh, Revens, why don't you tell us why there are three roses now? So hopefully on Sunday you will have been told, on you were here, two roses one for each baby that was born. Pastor Dustin and Caroline's baby, Oaks. Yeah. And then also we had a second baby born to the Saladay's grandchild, Kinsley Marie. Well, now the reason that TJ, our tech, is not here this evening, big shout out to Landon and Rick and John for doing all the teching tonight. Um, the reason is TJ and Bailey had their second child. And so they had a baby girl named... Larson Octavia Todd. Right. And so that's what this, uh, the three roses are uh, in honor of the new celebration of life for all three of those little kids. We're super excited. And I have a special coffee mug that I'm drinking out of tonight that says Super Mom that I absolutely stole from my wife this evening. And, uh, <laughs> but it is in honor of my wife and all three of the new moms. Uh, we're so excited. And there is at least one more mom uh, at church who's going to be having a baby pretty soon in the next couple of weeks. And Yay. I'm praying it happens this week which would be super exciting. So anyway, so that's, uh, that's why the three roses are here. And uh, hey, before we jump into our Bible study for the Lord's Prayer, uh, I thought it would be awesome to do some trivia. Yes. So uh, we have some prizes. We have a lot of giveaways tonight. I'm really, we do. I'm really we excited about it. We have swag for you guys. We do have swag. We have local swag, theological swag. There's all kinds of things that we're going to be giving away tonight. Uh, so uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to start off with some trivia uh, that Pastor Richard or Revens and I are going to do. And uh -huh. then we're going to have a special trivia question at the end and whoever types in the right answer on the YouTube live feed mm. with the right answer, the first person with the right answer, we are actually going to be giving that person uh, some pretty cool swag. So I'll show you what the person can win. So okay. uh, if you were here on Sunday, I preached a sermon. You remember what it was called? Going Rogue. Yeah, it was called Going Rogue. And so in honor of Going Rogue and to remind uh, you, a church, Jacksonville Prez, that we are meant to go rogue for the gospel, I have this awesome t-shirt that I just got. <laughs> it doesn't say Going Rogue, but it does say Rogue. And uh, if you get the trivia question right, you will win. We will mail you this t-shirt or you can come by the church office and pick Absolutely. it up. And it says Rogue Valley. So hopefully this will be a great reminder <laughs> for you to go rogue. So let's do some trivia and then we'll do the last one for the Okay, okay, so um, let's go for it. Trivia question number one. Feel free to write the answer on the live stream if you know it. Uh, trivia question number one, Revens. Yes. What language was the Old Testament originally written in? That would be Hebrew, otherwise known as a Jewish T boy, Hebrew. 
Okay, dad joke for free. Yeah, yeah. So that's the original language is Hebrew. Great. All right, second trivia question. It's going to get a little harder. Why was Moses, why was Moses in the Old Testament, why was he not allowed into the promised land? Anybody know? If you know the answer, write it on the YouTube live stream right now. Okay, we'll give you a second. So Moses was not allowed into the promised land because he disobeyed God. And it wasn't because he'd murdered someone. It wasn't because, uh, you know, he was slow of speech and all that kind of thing and tried to make excuses. It was because when he was told to speak to the rock, he hid it instead, probably out of frustration. But nevertheless, he disobeyed God. And that's why he wasn't allowed into the promised land. Yeah, that story is in Numbers 20. Pretty uh, shocking. Uh, if, if you, that's a st- that story is surprising if you don't have a category for the holiness of God. Right. If you understand that God is holy, the story doesn't really surprise you. Okay. All right, so uh, third trivia question. Uh, this is also a stumper for a lot of people, especially mm-hmm. if you know how to pronounce this guy's name. It's pretty hard. I may not say it right. No. But um, who killed himself after his advice was not taken? Okay. Who gave a person advice in the Old Testament? And when that advice was refused, who then killed himself? Remember who that was? I do. Now, whether I'll pronounce it right or not is another matter. Apithophel. Um, and that was, an, he was an advisor to King David. And during Absalom, David's son's rebellion against his father, Apithophel, Apithophel, that guy <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> went, went to Absalom with some advice and uh, Absalom didn't actually take that advice. But when that advice wasn't taken, Apithel went home, cleaned up his affairs, cleaned up his home and promptly killed himself. And if we like, we can really see him as a sort of type for Judas later on, who obviously betrays Jesus, the ultimate king of the Jews. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. In a few weeks, we'll get to John chapter 13. And when Judas leaves uh, the Lord's Supper Mm. to go betray Jesus, uh, John tells us that is in fulfillment of the one who shared my bread has turned his heel against me, which is actually a reference to Ahithophel. And so, uh, and how does Judas kill himself after he betrays the king of Israel? He hangs himself. He hangs himself. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's interesting to see how the Bible takes these themes and these types and they pan on out. All right. So uh, this is a fun one and we'll go fast. All right. Who, who cuts Samson's hair in the book of Judges? Not Delilah. <laughs> yeah, it's right. It is not Delilah, although she does oversee it. What mm-hmm. ends up happening to poor Samson's hair? Well, Samson is lying in Delilah's lap. She's stroking his hair, being all loving with a different purpose. A man comes along and cuts his hair. Yeah, fun trivia question. Delilah does not end up doing the shearing. That is another guy in the room, although she does oversee it. All right, so let's do the trivia question for the awesome T-shirt. All right, so this is one you've all been waiting for. Everything else was just preparing your mind to think about Bible (laughs) stories and getting you ready. All right, here it is for the T-shirt. Whoever writes it first will send you that awesome Rogue Valley T-shirt to remember to go rogue. Here's the question. The question is, what book of the Bible never mentions God by name. What book of the Bible never mentions God by name? Okay, we would love to see who's going to get that t-shirt. So the first one to write it in there, the answer, you will get that. Don't forget to give us your contact information as well. (laughs) Perhaps you should email the church as well as writing it in there in case we don't know yet. (laughs) 
All right, so the right answer is <laughs> Esther. Esther. Yeah, the book of Esther never mentions God by name. And oh, we have, we have a, a winner. winner. Oh, look at that. That's so exciting. Stephanie Alvarez. Oh, very good, We Stephanie. have your contact information. And we will get you this awesome T-shirt. That's just the first of the swag. So proud of you for knowing that Esther doesn't mention God by name. Of course, Esther and Mordecai believe in the Lord, the God of Israel. Absolutely. They just don't get around to saying the name in the book. No. And name is actually what we're going to be talking about tonight uh, when right. we get to the Lord's Prayer. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's uh, jump open to... Uh, Matthew chapter 6. I was about to say John. I've uh, just been in John a lot. If you go to Matthew chapter 6, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer tonight. Last week, we or two weeks ago, uh, mm -hmm. due to Oaks, we were looking at our Father and what does it mean that we pray to our Father and you know, this idea that uh, we have access to God in a really profoundly beautiful mm -hmm. way that is based on safety and knowledge that God accepts us and that he's like the best father we've ever known, whether we've had good dads or bad dads that have let us down. Um, God is the ultimate father we've always longed for. Yeah. And the fact that he's our father, he's not your father, not my father, he's our father. Yeah. So right from the beginning, there's that, that community, that community that we experience through the Trinity has community, we have community and it's just right there from the beginning. Oh, totally. And what a great reminder, you know, now that we're in the midst of the quarantine, mm -hmm. is just even in the Lord's Prayer, even when we're alone, we begin by reminding ourselves that we're part of God's family, that we're linked not just to the Lord, but to all of his people. He's our father, not just my father. I mean, so, so cool. So tonight we're going to talk about is, uh, you know, uh, Jesus says he's our father in heaven. And then he follows that up with that um, strange saying, hallowed be your name. And uh, we've, we're going to unpack what that phrase is. It's pretty profound if you let it. But with that, let's pray, and then we'll dive into God's Word. Richard, or Revan, do you want to pray for us? Absolutely. Our Father, we, we love you. We thank you for your Word and your truth and the way that you have taught us to be in community, not only with each other, but more importantly with you. As we look at this prayer, this pattern for our prayer, would you speak mm -hmm. into our hearts and our minds, Holy Spirit, just open up. And everybody who's watching this as well, would we be in that community together, seek you where you may be found. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. So uh, we're picking up with um, the Lord's Prayer. And if you remember from two weeks ago, we, uh, or I was suggesting to you that uh, we take the Lord's Prayer and we pray it morning noon and evening every night, like the Didache uh, encouraged Christians a long time ago to do. And uh, one of the most interesting things about the Lord's Prayer is uh, right off the bat, I don't know that a lot of Christians know what it's talking about. Like, especially when it gets to that word hallowed. hallowed. I mean, yeah. I mean, um, you know, hallowed is a really odd word. I mean, uh, you know, like people get tripped up on that word. They do. I, I don't know about you, Dustin, but I don't know if you've ever worked with children with the Lord's Prayer and asked them to write out what they think it means. And uh, we did that one time at a, a children's club in Wales. And when they got to hallowed, we had all sorts of answers, including, um, is God's name Harold? <laughs> and uh, no, his name is not Harold. <laughs> Wait, so you're saying hallowed, does, that's not God's name? That is no, it, when no, it says hallowed no. be your name, it's not saying no, that Harold is God's name? No, it's not saying hallowed is God's name. It's saying God's name is holy, mm, yeah. special, is set apart. Um, and it really sets, I think it's, it sets the prayer off in the sense of, uh, in a sense of adoration mm. of who God 
truly is. Oh, totally, totally. Which is um, right off the bat, again, you know, just like um, it's a challenge for us to remember to start our prayer, thinking about the whole body of Christ, our Father. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of challenging for us to think, uh, okay, when we're praying to our Father, we're supposed to be remembering that God already knows everything that we need. In fact, that's right in the context. Uh, you know, Jesus says it right there in verse eight, you know, pray like you know that God, your father already knows what you need before yeah. you ask. Absolutely. So both of these things are really areas for us to grow in how we understand and how we pray, which is why I think it's good to keep praying this over and over again. Uh, but then it goes on and it says, hallowed be your name, which again, we don't really use that word a lot. And, um, you know, I think if you're writing in your Bible or you like take notes, I think the, the main thing you need to know tonight is the word hallowed is really in uh, the original language. It mean, It's a verb meaning to make holy. And so if you were going to do an actual literal translation of that sentence, Jesus is literally saying, make your name holy or may your name be holy. And uh, right off the bat, that's kind of a, we'll have to unpack, you know, how does God make his name holy? Isn't it already holy? Uh, but the word hallowed right there means holy. Uh, but, uh, you know, we don't really have a verb for to make holy, right. you know, like, um, I, you know, you, you don't really say I holyfy something, you know, <laughs> no, you wouldn't say no. that, right? Um, the, the verb that we would use a lot of times in the English Bible is we would use the word sanctify. sanctify. Yeah. yeah. And so um, you could also be, you could say like, let your name be sanctified. And underpinning that is all, it's all the same Greek word to sanctify, to make holy. It's all that same root word. So it could say, you know, sanctify your name. But even then, I'm not really sure that that helps people understand right. what that's supposed to mean. Totally. And I mean, for me, not to jump ahead, but to me, it means that we should not use the Lord's name in vain. You mm -hmm. know, we should really be, anytime we mention God's name, it should be in the right context, that we should be glorifying him in what we are doing and saying as we say those things. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, again, to diverge into a story like Welshmen do, <laughs> you know, it's a bit like hearing about the six-year-old that goes to church for the very first time with his parents and he's all excited to go and goes into church and after church he's very downcast, very sad and his parents are like, Johnny, what, what's the matter? I mean, you know, didn't you enjoy the worship? The songs were good, the preacher was good, you know, didn't, didn't you enjoy Sunday school? Were your teachers not nice to you? And he said, no, it was just that everybody was swearing all the time. And his parents are a bit shocked and like, what do you mean they were swearing all the time? Well, they kept saying God and Jesus. Um, and we laugh at that story, but mm. the really, truly, you know, it's becoming that way and has become that way in, in the world that Jesus and God are used in such derogatory terms by so many people. And um, for us as Christians, we need to really watch out for that. And I think it's absolutely an opportunity when, pe when we hear that just to strike up that conversation with people and say, what the Lord's name means to us and why we think it's holy and shouldn't never be used in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is really the whole rub of this, you know, beginning of the prayer, hallowed be your name. I mean, when you sit down and you're praying that, you know, in your closet or early in the morning or when you go to bed, you know, really what we're supposed to be doing is revering God, mm -hmm. respecting mm -hmm. him, um, seeing him as holy 
as for what he is, right? And, um, you know, it doesn't mean that God can become more holy. You know, that's, that's not what Jesus is implying or teaching us to believe. It's not that Jesus is saying God can become more holy, but when he says, make your name holy, I think there are kind of like two aspects. One, it's supposed to mean for us that we revere God mm. and we respect him more and more. Absolutely. And uh, to your point, not many people think in those terms. You yeah. know, um, we, you know one, one of the you know, downsides, I think, of um, how we're living in culture today and just what I see in my own heart and seeing the people around me is um, when it comes to like God is love and God is forgiving and God is affirming, it's really easy to accept that. But when it comes to God is holy mm. and just, and set apart who will by no means clear the guilty. <laughs> Those are the things that I, you know, I don't know that a lot of people understand or are really willing to listen to. Sure. And uh, so I think part of it, just one of the applications is that we're supposed to be more and more contemplating God's holiness. And then the other thing is when we say, hallowed be your name, we're just like we are supposed to understand that God is our, our father individually, but also corporately as his people. I think there's a sense that we're supposed to be understanding that God's name is to be made holy in our own hearts and minds. But also we want his name to be glorified all over the planet. We want people to have deeper levels of respect for the Lord, yes. uh, deeper honor for him. And uh, so I think that's a lot of what, you know, make your name holy is getting at. Um, yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, why do you think people struggle with um, fearing God or um, honoring him or, you know, revering him? Why do you think that's hard for people today? I think it's hard for people today because they're so into themselves and it's about me and it's about I have to be the best person mm. and I am the pinnacle of uh, everything in my life. And also that they, they also fundamentally misunderstand what it means to fear God. It's not to be afraid of God. It's not to be frightened of God in that sense. I love the way Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. He says it's to be about reverential awe. Mm. And, uh, but it's really having to explain what that even means today. And also, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, when you're thinking of father, you know, if you've had a particularly difficult relationship with your earthly father, then to, when you hear fearing God or fearing mm -hmm. God the father, you might automatically go to where you feared your own earthly father yeah. who is flawed and imperfect, whereas God is perfect. So that's part of it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I want to keep, you know, digging down on that because mm. I know I've been asked a lot of times in my life, wait a second, am I supposed to fear God or am I not supposed to fear God? Doesn't the Bible say perfect love cast out all fear? Mm. But then the Bible also says in Matthew 10, I mean, Jesus says, don't fear man, do not be afraid of man, fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. So am I supposed to fear God? Or are we not supposed to fear God? You know, how do you reconcile those two ideas in the New Testament? You know, how would you answer somebody? You know, I think I would uh, say that that's a very difficult thing to understand because we look at it from human terms rather than from God's perspective. So mm -hmm. to really dig deeper into what God means by and what Jesus means there by saying, you know, fear God, because God can do this. He's the only one that can do this. Yeah. And the great thing is that through Christ and our faith in Christ, he's not going to do that to <laughs> us, to believers. But at the same time, not everybody's going to believe. And the reality is that some people are going to be 
uh, under that judgment mm. and that kind of thing. And so, you know, we live in a world where people like to think, well, you know, everything turns out okay in the end. You know, the hero always wins. Mm. The good person always, you know, gets the girl. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. And that's that's not the reality. The reality yeah. is God's love involves um, that sense of fear, holy fear. Yeah. Yeah, I you know I I think you know you're you're getting right at it you know which is um, and I think this is also like bumping up against the holiness of God mm -hmm. the uh, like you know what does it mean for God to be holy well you know I think a perfect demonstration of you know uh, what we're talking about that tension of well am I supposed to understand that perfect love casts out all fear or am I to understand that you know I'm never supposed to be afraid again. I mean, or that I'm supposed to fear God. How do I reconcile these things? And to me, I think, you know, if you look at the cross, is the cross, you know, God at his most just or is the cross God at his most merciful? Well, it's both, right? It's both the justice of God, his wrath against sin, and it's his mercy. And um, part of what we're meant to do as believers, and especially in our prayer life, is just like you said, look at God with reverential awe mm. to behold the wondrous cross, uh, to behold him in his holiness and see him as exceedingly transcendent, transcendently just above and beyond just it just in a way that is like kind of overwhelming, but also merciful in a way that's kind of overwhelming. Mm. And uh, to me, I think that's really um, at the root of what it means for God to be holy. You know, um, that's another one of those questions that people ask. Well, what does it mean for God to be holy? And uh, what does holiness really mean? And uh, um, the, the book that's helped me the most understand the holiness of God is, you'll never guess what it's called. The Holiness of God. <laughs> yeah, and uh, this is R.C. Sproul's best-selling book. Uh, this is R.C. Sproul at his absolute best. Um, I have a lot of Sproul books, but this is far and away the best book he ever wrote. Uh, in, in my, you know, humble opinion, it is so good. And uh, if you want this book, I am also willing to mail it to you or you can come pick it up. I got it for free. I would love to pass it on to you for free. Uh, if you want to type in your name and say, I want the holiness of God, uh, we would love to give this book to you. But one of the things Sproul talks about in the holiness of God is when he's defining holiness, he says a lot of Christians think holiness simply means purity, mm. that God is pure. But that's not only, I mean, yeah, holiness implies moral purity, but that's not the only thing that it means. When the angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, they're not really saying purity, purity, purity. No. They, they mean, yeah, obviously God is without sin, but there's something more. And really what holiness is, is his transcendence that he's not just just, he's just in a way that we will never understand uh, fully, that it's beyond our, our human understanding, that his mercy is more than we'll ever know. Um, nothing can separate us from the height or the depth or the breadth or the width or the love of Jesus Christ for us. Jesus loves us with holy love that is far above and beyond. And so, um, in some ways, uh, I loved what uh, Philip Graham Ryken, uh, who wrote one of my favorite books on the Lord's Prayer, uh, he defines holiness this way, which I just, I, I love this definition. He says, holiness refers to everything that distinguishes the creator God from his creation. It is the infinite distance between his deity and our humanity. Holiness is the very godness of God. 
the sum total of all of his glorious perfections. Wow. You know, this idea that like when I say holy, 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 I mean God is above and beyond anything I can possibly fathom. And so whether I'm talking about his mercy or his love or his justice or his wrath or his moral purity or his character, um, that's what holiness is referring to. He's high and above everything. And um, I think when people start to see the holiness of God, um, they are both drawn to it and they're also like utterly terrified, right? Um, so, you know, remember what, what does, uh, um, you know, Peter say, you know, when he sees Jesus, who's obviously set apart, obviously holy and is all the fish, you know, remember what he says? What does he fall down and say to Jesus? He says, Lord, depart from me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I am a sinful man. Yeah. yeah. He, and uh, it's very similar to what Isaiah says yeah. in Isaiah six, mm-hmm. you know, man when of unclean I, lips. And... Yeah. I'm a man of unclean lips and I, and I dwell yeah. among a people of unclean yeah. lips. Yeah. And uh, so there, yeah, there's moral purity implied in that, but there's also this overwhelming, like God is more than Isaiah or more than Peter can kind of wrap his mind around. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Revelation chapter one, you know, John sees the resurrected Lord Jesus and John tells us, <laughs> yeah, he falls down like a dead guy, you know? Now, yeah. do you think that's because John is worried that he's going to get cast into hell? No. No, that's the guy who told us that perfect love casts out all fear. Right. Right. It's that tension of John is absolutely convinced of the love of God, but he's also absolutely convinced of the holiness of God. And it's overwhelming. Mm. And I think that's really what worship is all about, right? Is trying to get a picture of the awesomeness and the overwhelming beauty, the holiness of God. Right. And that's also supposed to be playing into our prayer life. Right. And so um, I know you, you talked about this earlier, but, um, you know, we've prayed a lot at our church and we pray a lot as a church. And one of the main um, ways that we pray is we go through the ACTS prayer method. Can you talk a little bit about Absolutely. the ACTS prayer method? So ACTS stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And it's simply a method of having the elements of prayer within a prayer. I believe also in a very good, a very good order So adoration first, you know, we praise God for who he is. It's not like God needs to be reminded who he is. We need to be reminded who he is, Mm -hmm. right? But he is worthy of having that voiced, of of having that said, of of shared with us and with others. And then obviously confession. We all need to confess every day. I I love my friend who's a pastor who uh, once said, he said, right, who hasn't sinned today? And a few people dared to raise their hand. <laughs> and he said, you have right now. <laughs> uh, so we all need to confess um, mm. our sin. And we're thankful for the forgiveness that we can have through Jesus Christ, through his blood upon the shed for us. And, and then Thanksgiving. Naturally, we're going we're gonna to thank God for what he has done, what he is doing, mm. what he has promised to do. And then finally, supplication, praying for those needs that he is laying on our hearts. And, uh, you know, sometimes we're, we're voicing things that we recognize, oh, God actually wants me to go and do something about this, to have this conversation with somebody or, or, or whatever it might be. And other times it's just praying for a need uh, that might be there. I was also taught another one. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, Justin, mm. but I was also taught as a child the word stop, which was sorry, thank you, others, and please, which mm. is very much the same thing. But for a child, stop is easier, mm. perhaps. And also, what do you do when you pray? You stop everything else that you're mm. doing. 
um, and to stop several times throughout the day. So I think it's just a really good acronym to help us remember the, the mm. elements of prayer and to include them to the best of our ability. And uh, I try and do that even in our pastoral prayer on a, mm. on a Sunday as well, to have those, those elements in there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's a great point, you know, that we do incorporate those into the pastoral prayer every week. And, um, you know, I, I've said this a lot, uh, but it's true. I, you know, I've struggled to pray for years and it doesn't come naturally to me. That's one thing I you know, admire about you. You seem to pray a lot more <laughs> naturally than I do. But I know when someone taught me the Acts prayer method, um, it occurred to me that like the first thing of Acts, A-C-T-S, right? Mm. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, which is asking God to supply things, you know, asking for things, right? I guess I had to come up with an S word. That is kind of a funny word. Exactly. But um, when it came to adoration, you know, I, what I found was I wanted to go from A to S really fast. Like I didn't really think to confess my sin. I didn't really Mm. think to thank God for anything in particular. What I really wanted to do was ask him for things and ask him for help, you know? So, um, you know, how did you learn or how would you point somebody towards adoration in your prayer life or, you know, cause that's really what hallowed be your mm-hmm. name is really all about. It's before you even ask for daily bread, before you talk about forgiving others, you know, you start off and you say, Lord, help me to see you in your holiness. Help me to, you know, to use the Acts prayer method. How do you adore God? Where, you know, how do you find the, you know, how do you do that? You know, for me, it's, it's by reading his word, you know, looking to his character who he is, who he's revealed himself to be. Um, even, even in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, the fact that he's my Father, he's my Father because mm. of Christ and because of he, he enabled me to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. Therefore, I am God's child. I am mm. Christ's brother in, in, in that sense. And, uh, and so to remember those things and also to read some scripture, you know, as part of your prayers as well, to read through maybe it's Psalms, maybe it's Proverbs. You know, we've talked about this a number of times in our church over the last couple of years. And uh, for example, when we, were, when we were preparing for tonight, one proverb that, that I noted down was Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, and so to have that healthy fear of the Lord in the right sense, that adoration, that, that reverential awe of who he is and remind myself of who he is and what he's done for me, for, for you, for anybody mm. who comes to believe, um, to really do that helps, I think, to start us off on adoration. And sometimes you can, uh, certainly we've done this here, a little prayer, prayer group that I was in for many years that used to meet on a Sunday afternoon. We used to start by praising God, by just listing his characteristics out loud to one another. And sometimes we, we could do that for, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes before we ever got anywhere near any of the other elements uh, of prayer. And it really set the tone mm. um, and then reminded by doing that, reminded me of my sinfulness uh, and how separated I can be mm. at times. And so confessing that and then it just naturally flows uh, in that way. But again, it's, it's not always easy. There are days when I'm staring into space for a while. Uh, but even then, just to sit in his presence, I think, is is key. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, then it reminds me a lot of how St. Augustine, you know, would talk about the way we change as Christians. 
Um, you know, if you read Augustine, you know, he'll say things like, it's amazing when you read like old, old Christians from like a long time ago, <laughs> the way that they see the growth of a Christian is very different. You know, we are much more task oriented, like, God, I want you to solve these problems. Mm. I want you to solve the problem of the quarantine. And here's my list of things I need you to do. And I'm going to pray for him a bunch. And I'm going to pray like an orphan. I'm not going to trust that you're my father, <laughs> that you're not going to provide for him. I'm going to have a lot of anxiety. And when you tell me not to be anxious, well, that raises my anxiety. And um, you know, what Augustine would say, though, was um, contemplating the character of God is formative for the Christian. Mm. Thinking about who God is, adoring him actually changes the Christian. Mm. And, you know, so that idea of, I mean, if you spent, like you said, 15 minutes with a group of your friends adoring God, praising him for who he is, recounting the names that he has, um, you're probably going to find that the things you confess are probably going to come to mind more easily. Absolutely. The things you can thank him for is going to come to mind. And of course, you know, I would suggest that the things you pray for change. And, uh, you know, so I'll, I'll give you an example of how that looks. So, um, you know, when you, when you think about what you're asking God to provide, um, if you're going to rightly ask for supplication, I think you've got to rightly adore him. And, um, like one thing that I've noticed is, you know, a lot of times is, you know, in the Western world as Christians, we pray that we would get out of struggles, that God would deliver mm-hmm. us from hard things and struggles. But, um, you know, if you go to missionaries or people who don't live in the Western world, they don't really pray for deliverance the way we do. They pray for strength yeah. and they pray for endurance. And I mean, that's a subtle change, but I mean, think about, I mean, you know, I mean, are we praying for the quarantine to be over or are we praying that we have endurance, that we come out of this differently, that we revere God as more holy, that we see him deeper? And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I think all of these things are kind of at play, you know, um, and this is why the Lord's Prayer isn't so much like something to be said super fast. You run through. It's more of like an outline for your prayer where your first topic is dwelling on our father you know, praying for the church, praying for the church worldwide, the persecuted church. Um, It's remembering God as our father. It's stepping back and saying, do I take the Lord's name in vain? Am I really honoring God in my lifestyle? Do I, do I, you know, I know God forgives me, but is it even fathomable for me that I would ever fall down and say, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Do I even have that category of the holiness of God? And if I do, then that should actually be warning me from sinning. And, you know, we should cease to uh, sin. We should want to avoid sin in part because we know God's holy, right? I (laughs) mean, that's not the only motivator for not sinning, you know, but like, you know, just like a child, you know, you want them to do the right thing because you want them to love the right thing, but also, you know, it's okay if they know that they're going to get in trouble if they do the wrong (laughs) thing, right? Uh, You know, there's that idea of we want to let the holiness of God shape uh, our decisions and then I think they're, they're especially right now, to your point, nobody seems to respect authority. Mm. Doesn't really seem like that, that story you were telling me about the oh, guy that, yeah. you know, you want to share that? So, so a couple of things. We, we were talking about respect earlier on as we were preparing for tonight. And uh, I said, when I was a child, which isn't that long ago, but certainly a little while now, uh, the local police officer, the Bobby on the beat, as we used to call them, you know, you had a lot of respect for them. Uh, you wouldn't uh, cheek them. You wouldn't. Uh, you know, back chat them or anything like that because you knew 
If you did, they'd go and see your parent at the very <laughs> least, if not do a lot more than that. However, a friend of mine who's a magistrate in the UK was telling me a case recently of a teenager who uh, was totally disrespectful of the local police officers, was spitting at them and shouting, I've got COVID, I've got COVID. Well, that young man is now in prison for 18 months. So, you know, he obviously didn't have the right fear of what might happen to him and didn't have the respect for the authority figure and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, and, and that's the kind of world, not everywhere, but there is that mm. element certainly uh, there that we see. And that is kind of breaking down. I'm hoping that through this, it might actually mm. build up. I'm seeing certainly some of my friends are in the medical profession in the UK, the respect that they are getting. Mm. You know, for, for what they do and what they, in, in my friend's case, what he's done for 28 years. Mm -hmm. He is now getting a little bit of respect and recognition for what he's been doing for a long time. And maybe, maybe people's thinking will shift. Like you're saying, you know, perhaps our prayer is yes, it is, we want COVID to be gone, absolutely. Yeah. But during the time it's here, what can we learn? How can we see God's character? How will he be, continue to be faithful? And how can we witness to him during this time? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to me, the link, the link right there, again, is, this is like tied to how Christians have thought for millennia. And it's also tied to how people operate in the New Testament, which is, um, you know, if, if you think, you know, I'm sure you feel this, but if you feel like there is a lack of respect at work in our culture, mm. you know, children don't respect their parents. They don't respect teachers. People don't respect authority figures. People are disrespectful to one another. I mean, if you just sense that kind of loss of honor or respect or wh however you want to call it in whatever realm, if you sense that, um, it's very interesting that, um, to think about it in this way, where if Christians start their days off honoring the Lord, mm. honoring him as holy, then what's going to happen is Christians then honor everyone around them in a different way. Mm -hmm. And this is um, exactly what Christians like the guys who wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Westminster Catechism in the 1600s, they actually tie this to um, an understanding of who God is. They say, um, you know, honoring the Lord, respecting him, automatically leads to you honoring your parents, honoring the people who are above you and honoring the people that would be, you know, quote unquote, beneath you like children or maybe your employees. But if you have sort of like the muscle memory to honor the Lord, you're going to honor other people. And this is what we see in the New Testament, right? I mean, yeah. think about... Um, you know, uh, Jesus honors the Sanhedrin, even though they're about to murder him. I mean, remember Paul, you know, says something kind of snipey, you know, at, uh, you know, this high priestly dude and, you know, somebody slaps him and <laughs> tells him to show more respect. And, you know, Paul says, I, you're right, I should have showed more respect. And, uh, you know, so I think there is this, uh, you know, the idea of sort of trickle down or sort of holistic or like all of life honoring and respecting, you know, the New Testament will say it starts in the in, in the relationship between you and the Lord. And that's even where Paul goes in Romans 13, right? That if you honor the Lord as holy, you're even supposed to honor the Roman government mm -hmm. who you don't even really agree with on everything, no. but you honor them because you understand that in God's providence, he put them in charge. And so you don't honor them because they're great moral people necessarily. You honor them as an overflow of the holiness of God at work in your life. You've learned to honor the Lord. And so God in his providence has put Rome in charge and we're supposed to honor him. So 
I don't know. There's probably no application for life today <laughs> with Romans 13, but you know, I'll just throw it out there for you to consider. Yeah. So uh, again, like if you said, if you want to think about the holiness of God, read this book. Um, you know, another way to think about, uh, and you know, adore God, you know, if you're struggling, you know, what would I even pray for tonight? How would I adore him? Well, you've suggested go to scripture, maybe read some of the Psalms, but another way to do that, that may be easier for people is to think through God's names. Mm, So do you have any resources or ideas? Funny you should mention that. (laughs) Here's our next giveaway. So recently, one of our women's Bible studies went through this book, The Power of God's Names by Tony Evans, no relation, as far as I'm aware. And uh, they found it excellent. And it goes through the various different names of God. Well, not quite all of them, of course, but that would be a much thicker book. But, you know, God does reveal himself in the meaning of his name. Elohim, the strong creator God. Jehovah, the relational God. You know, um, Emmanuel, God with us. uh, And all the others that are here. And so... Here's our offer to you. The first three to email or type in in the YouTube comments. We have three copies of this book that we will either, we can either mail them to you or you can pick them up from the office. Totally free. We'd love to give this uh, to you. But, you know, it got me thinking, just as a, a fun little exercise, what, what is in the meaning of a name? So I looked up the meaning of my name, which I had to be reminded reminded of all of them because my parents decided to give me three names. That's a whole other story. I'll <laughs> tell you another time. But Richard David Edward, which the meanings are strong leader, beloved, wealthy, guardian, protector. Well, with the exception of wealthy, I'm <laughs> yeah, doing okay. Say, all those are great except for the wealthy. Right? Although, <laughs> you know, compared to most of the world, yeah. I am incredibly wealthy mm. and certainly in God's love, I am overflowing mm. in richness. But... Here you go. So, Dustin, what does your name mean? Yeah, so, uh, you know, like uh, when, you know, hallowed be your name, right? That's why we're talking about this, right? You know, the idea is that um, the names are supposed to reveal who the person are, right? Right. So we say, hallowed be your name. We understand that God's name reveals everything that he is, right? So who is God? Well, he is that, you know, I am that I am. And then like, you know, you said, there's all the different names of God that reveal his character. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's great that your your name means all these really meaningful things. And, (laughs) you know, uh, obviously we just just named our son Oaks, which is a reference to to being an oak of righteousness that uh, is part of the gospel that, you know, we would be called oaks of righteousness. So that's a, you know, a deeply meaningful name, Uh, you know, but most people, you know, you may not have a lot of meaning to your name. Maybe, you know, especially today, people just making up names, you know, you know, like myself and, you know, we're just (laughs) making up names. We just like the way they sound. My name doesn't really have a, you know, a deep meaning for my family other than my parents just liked it. Unfortunately, the name Dustin me is a distortion of Tristan, which is a distortion of the word Thor's stone, Torsten's, which is actually, that means it's a pagan name. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm named after a pagan god and, uh, you know, it's messed up. But I, I take a little comfort in the name because my favorite judge in the book of Judges, he gets one sentence. He gets one sentence in the book of Judges and he's right. He's the third judge. And we just, you know, in the book of Judges, there's a guy named Othniel. He's like a relative of Caleb. So he's like Mr. Connected. He does all this great stuff. And then there's a judge named Ehud who is probably left-handed and he kills a king. It's a great story. But there is the third judge and his name is Shamgar. 
which is a super odd name mm-hmm. because it is not a Hebrew name. It is not an Israelite name. Wow. It's actually a pagan Canaanite name. And it says his name is Shamgar, son of Anoth. And Anoth was actually a deity of the Canaanites. And so there's all kind of speculation about, was he actually um, an abandoned child from one of the temples? And that's why he's only the son of one of the pagan deities. But anyway, God still uses Shamgar, who loves the Lord. He uses even this guy who's not an Israelite to deliver Israel. So I, I, I'm with Shamgar, even though I don't have a Hebrew name or a biblical name or a meaningful name. I, you know, God still uses people like me and Shamgar, you know, which is the great hope. Absolutely. Uh, but hey, well, as we finish up, um, you know, there's one more kind of last important thing that I, I just want to go over, um, which maybe hasn't occurred to you yet, but I think is so important to remember, which is if, if you and I are trying to honor the holy God and we are supposed to stand in line with guys like John or Peter or Isaiah, who uh, some part of them, they behold the holiness of God. Um, they, un- they take Jesus's words seriously to don't fear man, but fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. I mean, if we have that vision of God, the holiness, um, I mean, that's really intimidating because you and I are sinners, right? <laughs> we're, we're, yep. We are unholy, you and know, every day. we, you know, by definition, you know, we are not set apart, we sin. And so how can unholy people approach the holy God? Uh, well, to me, this is the great promise of Jesus, who is the Holy One of God. He, the holy, the set apart, the morally perfect, but also the transcendent Son of God entered mm-hmm. our world, took the punishment for wretched sinners like you and me. And because he was holy and perfect and spotless and sinless, he could take the punishment that we deserve mm-hmm. And give us his righteousness. Absolutely. And so the incredible thing is God's holiness, which separates us, actually enters our world, takes our sin upon himself and redeems us and brings us into the fellowship of the holy God. And that's how we can pray for the holiness of God. And um, I'll finish with this verse. I love this is 1 Corinthians. And remember how we started this off by talking about how the word hallowed and holy and sanctified are all the same word. Well, listen to how Paul talks about how uh, we become believers and what that means to us. He goes to this list of all the different kinds of people and all the ways that we sin. And he says, and in, in this is first Corinthians six eleven. He says, you know, there's all these ways that we can sin, all the sexually immoral things we can do, idolaters, adulterers. And then he says, and such were some of you. Mm. This was who you were. You were unholy, but you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been made holy and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And I, I love that through faith in Jesus, you and I 
are holy. <laughs> we become set apart and we enter into the holiness of God, not through our righteousness, but through faith in him who has made us holy with him. And so th this explains sort of all of those you know, moral commands for us to live as followers. We are to live like Jesus and to see ourselves and be careful about the words of our mouth, mm -hmm. be careful to reverence God, to revere him. And uh, it's such an encouragement that we don't have to scrub ourselves clean or get ourselves fixed or learn to pray just the absolute right way that Jesus brings us all the way into the presence of the holy God. And only when we see Jesus having washed us could we ever dare to hope to stand before a holy God? No, absolutely. And for me, it just brings that image to mind that we were thinking about just, you know, a few weeks ago at Easter where mm. when Christ dies, the temple uh, curtain is torn. Oh, yeah. The veil is torn. We are able to enter the Holy of Holies. We're able, through the blood of Christ, to be in God's presence and, and be in that holiness. And, yeah, it's, you know, it's not just something that happens when we pass from this world. But, you know, we, we experience that to a degree while we're here. Yeah. And I think that that's so important. That's how, as we were talking earlier about having the tension between, you know, the holiness of God and how separate he, he seems and he be close at hand and be close as any father to a, to a child. And mm -hmm. so to have that tension is only because of Christ yeah. and what he's done for us on the cross. Yeah. And I think contemplating that... Mm -hmm is what we're doing when we hallow his name. We think about his holiness, right? It's, it's not one or the other, it's both of them. Mm -hmm. And when they combine, it's transcendent and it's amazing and it's meant to cause us awe. And it's hard to explain until you really see the cross, yeah. right? Um, either you see a wrathful God or you see a God who's just always sweeping everything under the rug. Uh, so, hey, well, hey, uh, guys, thank you so much for logging in tonight. And uh, we loved having you join us. Uh, we're going to pick up again in the Lord's Prayer right next week, uh, talking about God's kingdom. And uh, we're excited. We're going to be doing more giveaways. Uh, yeah. You know, we have both Richard and I have big libraries that we can't wait to share with you. And I uh, <laughs> hope you're taking this time. And hey, before you go to sleep tonight, uh, why don't you and your spouse pray through the Lord's Prayer? Or uh, if you're single, pray it at your own home. And and hallow God's name. Guys, bye.